Welcome to the Bloom Podcast, Human Stories of Resilience. And I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today and paying my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who might be listening. Hey, Susie. Hey, Steve. We have a guest. Etty is a special guest. She's a neuroscientist, which is really interesting to me and I've known her for I guess years now and she started telling me a story about something that happened and I said stop there Etty because I would love you to tell this story on the Bloom podcast because well you'll find out why anyway. Excellent can't wait to meet her. Etty welcome to the Bloom podcast. Hi, Susie and Steve. It's great to be here. Tell us a little about yourself. Well, my name is Etty Bechabad. I'm a mum of two children, which is probably my most important job. And I'm also a neuroscientist and I'm a neurological physiotherapist, which is a physiotherapist who treats people with neurological injuries. So injuries to the brain and the spinal cord. I teach people how to move again, how to gain independence in their life. And I'm also an edupreneur. An edupreneur is an entrepreneur in education. So I have created a business I strongly believe in that has got to do with health education. I'm originally from Israel. I was born in Israel, but I came to Australia after my army service. After the army, you kind of want to travel and explore the world and have the freedom that you didn't have after high school. That led me to Australia. And I liked it and stayed and studied and then stayed forever, hopefully forever. <laughs> you never know where life takes you. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Tell us about your moment. The moment I was thinking I could share with you is a moment I had in the army. In Israel, women do the army for two years and men do it for three years. I'm not sure if I should say men and women or girl and boy, because you go, go there when you're 18. And yes, officially you are an adult, but honestly, you're very young when you're 18. <laughs> There's a lot of mental issues, mental health issues that come up in the army because people go there very young. It's important because knowing that at the back of your head that there's a lot of mental health issues in the army makes you really, really vigilant in trying to take care of yourself because you know you could end up in the wrong place if you're not careful, which I guess helped me in that, that knowledge also helped me in that moment. And the moment was when I was doing a job in the army and the, I think it's called Lieutenant General. I'm not sure if it's Lieutenant General or colonel, I'm not sure. Anyway, the person who was in charge of me, <laughs> I was working there doing my job and I was requested to go to a training base to teach, to do what it is that I was doing. There are certain processes in the army that allow you to ask for decisions to be overturned. And I pretty much exhausted every possible avenue I had. And miraculously, every time something bizarre would happen to the process that I started and forms would go missing or they'll decide I'm not suitable for the criteria, even though I was. So he had a lot of connections and he was able to block my way to 
get out of that role and go into a teaching role. And I felt that I had, I exhausted all my options and I had to think laterally about how can I get out of this situation and go and teach. And the only way I can think to get out of that situation was to do something extreme, which is to approach the major general of my area. Now, major general is like way, 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 way above any uh, rank that I was ever in. And you never, ever approach people like that. And if you approach people like that, and I was going to approach this person outside of the army, civilian. So I would have gone to his house. The plan was to go to his house, knock on the door, say my problem, hand a letter, because I knew I won't have the right words when I'm going to speak with him. <laughs> so he can read what the problem is and then hopefully act on it. So the risk was, because I'm doing something out of the ordinary that I should not be doing, I could be sent to the prison. And the second option was that he was going to read my letter and act on it to my advantage, i.e. go to the teaching base and teach what it is that I wanted to teach. So I weighed my risks <laughs> and I thought that I was so miserable in the position I was with, with that person that was in charge of me. He was a bit of a psychopath. And I knew that my mental health was at risk if I was going to stay there because as it was, I was crying every night when I head home, <laughs> that I thought I've got nothing to lose. What would be the worst? I'll go to prison. So I got to prison. At least I won't be with him anymore. So I did that. I knew where that person lived. I somehow managed to get to his front door, knocked. It was the weekend. I was not in my army base. I went there in my civilian clothes. So I approached him on civilian basis to reduce the risk of being put in prison. And I said to him, this is the story. I have officer that does, does not want to let me go to teaching. I was requested to go to teach. I really want to go to teach. Can you please help me? I've tried all the ways I could think of. I'm sorry I'm approaching you as I am, but I really tried everything else I could. Here is a letter that details everything. I would love you to help me to get to the teaching base. And I left. And I never knew whether that was a good or bad thing to do. I thought the next day I'll find out because if I need to go to prison, I'll be called to a trial. I wasn't called to a trial. And in fact, within a few days, I was pulled out of that base and I was taken to the teaching base and I was as happy as. <laughs> and it was a really, really important moment in my life because it's changed the way I think about adversity and the way I act in challenging situations. With the perspective you have now, do you see, are there other solutions that just didn't occur to you at the time? That moment came to culmination over months. And there were months and probably good two months where I was trying every possible way I could think of. And I was talking with my peers and we were problem solving and we were trying to find solutions. And it really felt like I've tried absolutely all my options. I didn't feel, and even now, if I think about it now, I don't think there was something that I could have done that I didn't do. I really don't think I had any other options. Did this change your life? I mean, obviously you went and, and taught as you desperately wanted to do. It changed my life on many levels. It changed my life 
in terms of life experience, having that teaching, that year of teaching experience was invaluable in all the rest of my career <laughs> or career choices, I should say. And also it's changed me as a person. I became a lot braver, a lot more willing to take risks, a lot bold in terms of, yes, there are big risks that sometimes I have to take, but they will make a massive change to my life if I am willing to take them. It also, also taught me that being quiet is not always a good idea. I used to be a very quiet person before the army. I was one of those quiet achievers at high school. I'm not a noisy achiever, but I'm not a quiet achiever. <laughs> I don't like blowing my horn too much, but I realized that sometimes I have to talk about myself if I want people to understand what it is that I'm doing. I remember at high school, like I was a quiet achiever and I was doing my matriculation or whatever it's called in whichever country. And one of the things I had to do was a research project. And the research project I did was about the effect that the amount of watering of apples. So I used to live in a kibbutz and we had apple orchards and I used to work there. Everybody used to work there every summer, all summer, and sometimes during the year as well. Because at high school, we had one day that we didn't go to school. We were working in the kibbutz. It was a really good study design, and I did it with someone who worked in the apple orchard, but all the work was mine. And when it get to the time of examination, it, it was quite a stringent, stringent examination, a little bit like a PhD when I think about it now, because I also did a PhD later on in life. But you had to, an external examiner that you had to travel to, and he was you know, in a city that was quite far from where I was. I had to travel there, and he was examining me. He was cross examining me about that research project. I did it all and I answered all these questions. And at the end, he tells me, I don't believe you did it by yourself. And I'm going to mark you down because I don't think you did it by yourself. And I remember being absolutely gobsmacked. Like I spent a year traveling every weekend to the apple orchard, measuring my sample of apples. When it came to pickup time, I was like a hawk around the group that was picking those apples, measuring and checking and weighing and all of that kind of stuff. I spent so much time and effort in that research project. And then he tells me that he didn't think I did it by myself. It was like, it felt like a, I don't know what it felt like. It was, it was mind blowing that someone could even think that and say to me when I did it all by myself. And I really didn't know what else I could have done to convince him that I did it all by myself. I just was speechless, actually. <laughs> and I went out of the room and bawled my eyes out to my mom who drove me to that <laughs> examination. And yeah, I got a lower mark because, not a lower mark, but I didn't get as much high mark. Yeah, I still got a very good mark, don't get me wrong. But the fact that someone would mark me down because he didn't believe me what was really disturbing to me. The, the injustice. Yeah. yeah, justice is a very strong is a very strong drive on my campus. 
and that injustice was really disturbing to me. But I was too too immature, uh, and I didn't know what to do. But I think, in part, this is why, when it came to it came to my army experience, that I felt that this is a serious injustice. It's not going to ha- like I'm not going to let it be like it was before, where people can do things that are wrong to me, and I'll sit there and cry or be quiet about it. And I, I need to be proactive and need to do something about it so it it changed you then in in that moment what has it meant to you since i think that having had that experience and being shown in a way that taking action or acting on the injustice can bring me a lot more benefit than not acting on the injustice i.e. doing something about it is positive, it made me, it gave me a bit of freedom in my thinking about A, my ability to change my situation and B, actually to do it, (laughs) to have the ability to do it. And so later on in life, I remember after having my children, I've been working in hospitals for many, many, many years, all my life, all my career actually. And hospitals are very, they're very specific work environments. And I was working in a research capacity one day a week and I felt like I was under a glass ceiling. I did not want to become a full-time researcher because that would have been, it would have taken me to places I didn't want to be. But I certainly wanted to continue doing research and I certainly felt like I was working in isolation by myself under a glass ceiling. And I felt like there's so much more I could give to the world. And I knew I had to do something to change that. And I knew that within the system, I couldn't change that because just because of how it works. And I started having some reservations with regards to how the, the, the policies that health systems were developing um, in regard to healthcare. And so I thought I really need to do something about that. I need to, to change what I'm doing or at least add an aspect to it where I could voice what I think and train clinicians in a way that clinicians should be thinking. And so I started my entrepreneur kind of thing. And I I never knew whether it's going to work or not. But my thing is that I use brain imaging and I use it for treatment as opposed to diagnosis. And in the conventional world, radiology brain imaging is something that radiologists do. And they do it just for the purpose purpose of diagnosis. But for me, it was about I know that this could be used for assessment, treatment, rehab, prognosis, having discussions with clients, with patients, letting them know where they are, why they're experiencing what they're experiencing, what's the the scope for a recovery they have. And again, that was not something that would have been the health system, the conventional health system would have been open to. So having had the experience in the army, I knew that if I believe in something, I have the ability to change it. And it, it just allowed me to take that step to go and test what I think can benefit a lot of other people. And since then, I have developed in that area and, and, and am able to help so many more people that I would have ever be a, been able to help had I only treated them within the hospital system. So, yeah, training clinicians and thinking outside the box allowed me to 
help a lot of other clinicians, help a lot more other clients, otherwise known as, known as patients. I don't like the word patients, but that's what the health system people use. Well, I don't like the word edupreneur, so, you know. Why don't you like the word edupreneur? <laughs> it's a horrible, ugly word. It's terrible. I mean, it's a, great, it's a great thing, but it's a terrible word. Final question for you, Etty. If the major general, whatever he was, was as much of a psychopath as your immediate commanding officer and had had you thrown in jail, in prison, what would you have learnt from having done that then? <laughs> would you have learnt to keep your trap shut? No. No. Because it still would have given me a better outcome. Being in prison would have been better than staying with a psychopath. In Israel, if you've been in the army, in the prison, that puts a stain on your track record. So I knew that could be it. But the other option was to go insane. And that's not a good option either. So it was a lose-lose situation. But I think losing my mental health would have been worse than losing, you know, having a stain on my track record. Or it was a, a lose-lose-win situation and... Uh... That's wonderful that, fortunately, it's the win that came through for you. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story, Etty. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you. What an interesting person Etty is. And I don't know about you, Steve, but I feel drawn into this world. She's She's created a picture of... A, a different place, a different time, being a soldier in Israel. And yet the challenges that she faced were around going forward and around doing the right thing and around standing up for herself. And these are these are everyday challenges. You don't have to be a soldier to have have that dilemma of, do I say the thing? Do I do the thing? It's uh, an insight into somebody else's world, which is one of the things I really like about interviewing people, talking to people, hearing their stories, their very different experiences. And yeah, that thing about doing the right thing, it's something we're all faced with. Perhaps it's becoming more important to us rather than less because we're becoming more aware of the impact of what we say and what we do on other people and of experiencing it from other people as well, if that makes sense. I think of it as like a muscle. You know, if you don't use it, then you lose it. If you don't find your voice in situations when it's not so hard, then when it comes to be really difficult, then you you find that you may find that you don't have it. And Etty's experience was a little bit like that, really, wasn't it? In that she had an earlier experience when she didn't stand up, and that made her more determined to think through the implications as she clearly did very seriously because the implications were potentially very severe and to be ready to use her voice when the time came. One thing we didn't really talk about was how you feel about the term edupreneur. Ed, edupreneur. Ed, edu, edupreneur. Edupreneur. <laughs> edupreneur. Well, that's a little bit unfair, Susie, because the same difficulty of pronunciation that you've got with edupreneur also occurs in entrepreneur. So I don't think I'll give you that. But it is a, an awful word, isn't it? <laughs> Slammed together in the, that education and whatever. It's like edutainment and those things that, mind you, I suppose all words are made up. 
<laughs> All words are made up and they probably sound strange the first time that we hear them. Well, thank you. It's been a week. I'm off to practice my standing up for myself skills and looking forward to next week. <laughs>